Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homie. I'm your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. The Business Creators Radio Show takes you to those places where you have those mastermind meetings and aha moments that can change your trajectory or at least bring you a little bit closer to serving from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. A lot of the episodes come to you from my sumptuous apartment in beautiful Las Vegas, known to some as the hottest city in America. Today, I am actually at a conference and have stepped out from it, and I'm recording this from a literal back alley behind a building. So, hey, we go where this stuff happens. And this is going to be a conversation about franchising. It's a topic I love. We feature these once or twice a year on this show, and I like to bring out the best of what is available, some of the current trends, and some of the best practices when it comes to the idea of acquiring and operating a turnkey business. I've heard the debates, I've heard the pros and cons, and we have somebody here today who we've been working to get on this show for a while now. Actually, it's been almost three months, a very busy man, and I'm so excited we could get him in. His name is Eddie Rodriguez. He's a seasoned entrepreneur who's created four businesses in his lifetime. He's now the CEO of The Franchise Tailor, which is a top certified franchise consulting group that helps hundreds of people explore franchise ownership opportunities as owner operators or passive investors to diversify their portfolios. His experience and knowledge of the franchise industry is vast. And as a Forbes Coaches Council member, he brings real value. Eddie Rodriguez, come on in. The weather's fine. Hi, Adam. Good to talk to you today. Uh, yeah, yeah. So um, when I say I met a man in a back alley, I can literally say that happened virtually. That's fantastic. Um, I read off your official bio. It's so impressive. I'm not sure I'm worthy to be here. And this is my show. Uh, so what we like to do here, and you gave us some great talking points in the green room for uh, guiding this conversation about franchising. Before we do that, Let's pull back the curtain. Let's hear a little bit from Eddie in his own words. So tell us something about your journey that's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Sure. I, I'll give you a, a, a quickie of my background. I've been a serial entrepreneur. I started my first business when I was 29 years old. Uh-huh. I'm 66 years young nowadays. I've yep. created and built four successful businesses in my lifetime, including the current one that I operate, the Franchise Taylor. Um, so the way I look at it, Adam, is I bring authenticity to business ownership because I've done it. I've created startups. Um, as a certified franchise executive, I, I know what I'm talking about in reference to the franchise industry and exploring opportunities within it. I'm also affiliated 
with the largest and most respected franchise consulting network in the country called IFPG, International uh-huh. Franchise Professionals Group. Uh-huh. And my principal job is to listen. I work with hundreds and hundreds of candidates each year. And when I'm doing my job best, it's when I'm clearly listening to what their goals are, lifestyle goals, financial goals, um, short and long-term goals, how they want to channel their experience maybe into a lifelong life passion. So what I try to do when it's up on my whiteboard in my office is try to find somebody their best next life every day. And, and that's really what my goal is, is to try to help people understand that ex- investing in franchises is a viable option to build wealth with an already established and validated business that comes with tremendous support. So that gives you a, a fairly good 20,000 foot overview. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll try not to jump. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so where I'd like to begin is by defining some terms and laying some groundwork. Uh, there are pros and cons to owning a franchise versus independent business ownership. So I was wondering if you could take me through some of those so that we can begin to bifurcate this. Sure. The, 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 the principal reason for people to consider investing and in building a franchise business is the fact that they've already been created. They've been established. They come with systems manuals, operating manuals, technology support, marketing support, operating support. So essentially what they do is they hand you a template for success. Only 17, 17% of startups, let's say you and I, Adam, came up with a great new idea, or so we thought. Only about 17% of those are still open two years later. Not a really good batting average. No. We're over, eight, we're over 80% of franchise businesses that open are still around eight plus years later. It's not rocket science. These businesses have already been created, perfected. They come with tremendous support. You can call other owners around the country with any questions. You can call the corporate office. They help you with lead generation, with any obstacles you might encounter. Um, But you have to follow their systems. My advice to people, here's the cons. To, to your question, people that want to do their own thing exactly as they want to do it, I'm telling them right now, don't even consider franchise ownership. It's counterproductive to why you should even explore franchise opportunities. If you want a more proven track record with a higher level of success rates, then franchise ownership is a viable option for people. So that that's the difference. Startups you know, there are many great successful startups, but a far greater amount of them don't succeed where the opposite is true with franchises. But but you must follow a system and you must embrace the protocols that the company um, trains you because essentially they're providing you with your absolute best chance of succeeding. Those that go back to their homes and try to outsmart the franchise generally don't succeed yeah and and see that's the thing and that comes into the personality as i see it that is most likely to succeed in a franchise i mean 
for those who love to tinker under the hood and try and figure out how to get five extra horsepower out, out of the engine and want to deconstruct it and reconstruct it and every other damn thing, uh, franchising might not be exactly for them. But for somebody who wants to have a degree of control over their own destiny, to be able to build wealth and to be able to have something that not only has been tested, 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 retested, and is continually being refined and and gives them the support, even if they're relative novices to it, franchising could be a great way to go. Yeah, and, and I don't want to make it sound like it's, you know, completely inflexible. Franchise companies yeah. will allow you to tinker with your local market marketing and other issues relative to doing business in everyone's specific market within the context of the brand and what they know already works. But to your point, yes, those people that want to build the engine, rebuild the transmission, tinkering under the hood, repaint the, the, the exterior and redo the interior, that's not the kind of personality that generally works for franchising. You know, I, I get franchise companies that when I introduce candidates to their, their number one choice, believe it or not, for franchise candidates are military veterans. Why? Because veterans are taught to follow systems. They come with a good work ethic and they are trained to follow systems and certain protocols or oftentimes their own lives are in danger. So, so the truth is, if the company has already created a successful formula, why would you want to mess with that? Yeah. I, I, you know, so that's the bottom line. And the difference between startups, if you want to do your own thing, however you want to do it, go to it. Start your own company from scratch. If you want a, a more proven model that comes with support, and gives you a greater chance to succeed, not 100%, but a greater chance to succeed, um, I highly recommend franchise investing as a viable option. See, when I think of franchising, I think of fast food restaurants, but I think there's more options than just that. Oh, dear God. Our, our portfolio is populated by over 540 of the best franchise brands in the country across every single industry you can imagine. You're absolutely right. Most people think of franchises in terms of McDonald's or Papa John's Pizza and, and, and you know, places like that. Most people don't realize that when you go to fill up your gas tank, um, it, you know, that gas station is a franchise. You go to ship a box or get a service done at FedEx Kinko's, that's a franchise. So is the UPS store yeah. and a number of other businesses that people would never imagine are franchises. They exist in every industry, construction, real estate, wellness, healthcare, CBD. Uh, I can go on and on and on. You name an industry, there's a franchise in it. Well, and uh, you, know, you mentioned UPS stores. You know how many of those there are in Las Vegas alone? Oh, I can't Holy even Holy moly! I've uh, yeah, I've I've uh, I've had uh, my mailboxes at a UPS store since I moved here to Las Vegas, and those were replacements for the UPS store mailboxes I had back in Pittsburgh. Now, those types of franchises are particularly hot in places like Las Vegas, which is known as a town that has a lot of transiency. Now, let me define transiency. It's the idea 
that you don't own your home and you have the flexibility to move around. See, I'm in a position right now where, at least at this stage, I don't have a wife, I don't have kids or anything like that. So I'm in a position where I can enjoy location flexibility. As we have this conversation, I'm literally speaking to you from a back alley. Uh, I, 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 I have, I have what's known as the laptop lifestyle. I relocate several times throughout the day. As far as my living situation, uh, I have lived in apartments ever since I've been on my own. And as far as, uh, my requirements for an apartment, I, I just don't want gangs roaming around. I want to know my car is safe and I want to know the damn swimming pool is going to be open in the summertime. You give me those three, you give me those three things. I'm pleased as punch. Any one of those things is missing, I'm out of there. And well, so, you sound and like so, a yeah. simple man to please. Right. Now, there's a lot of that, particularly in this town. So, what many folks do is rather than even bother with doing changes of addresses each time they move, I mean, I know people who move every year just because they like a new place to live. Uh, they will just get one mailbox that's relatively central to their lifestyle. And uh, then when they move, that's about uh, a day's worth of phone calls and logging into online portals, followed by six months of why did you send that to the wrong place that they don't even have to deal with. Uh, I mean, I, I remember growing up, you know, the idea that you would move somewhere would lead to, well, now you got to notify all these people the place you live. You got to notify people the new phone number. Uh, me, I just pick up and go and all that stuff. That none, none of that gets affected by anything. I don't have mail delivered to where I live. And we're actually seeing more of that, not only in Las Vegas, but in the country at large. Uh, I mean, part of the reason the post office is struggling is because we're actually seeing it's not a massive tidal wave, but it's there and it's perceptible a move toward rather than have the mail delivered to your house, you go somewhere to pick up your mail. That's where the FedEx stores, the UPS stores and other companies that do that sort of thing come in. Uh, there's no shortage of demand for that type of franchise. And, and what does that involve? You have, uh, you have some mailboxes, uh, you could probably find some place that already has the mailboxes uh, or order them. And you have a counter and you have a photocopier and you have a relationship with a shipping company so that you can get stuff in and out. Those are the main things. You, you can add other stuff if you want to. Yeah, UPS stores provide, to your point, a valuable service to, to people like yourself. The way I look at each and every single client's needs of what they want to invest in and then what kind of business they want to be involved in. And in the case of a UPS store, you have a brick and mortar location. So your investment's higher just because of that. Longer hours, because usually I know we have a, a local UPS store where I live in Miami, Florida, and it's open seven days a week. Um, so great for people that, that need that service. If you own that store, it's kind of like oh, uh, having a restaurant. You're, you're, you're going to be working a lot. Now, yeah. it, 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 I bring this up because my service is to try. I started the conversation with you by saying, I need to listen carefully to my clients and what they want to do, how much they're interested in investing. And, and if it's not that kind of lifestyle as an owner that they want, then I would never introduce them to a franchise like the UPS store. Is it a valuable service that the UPS store and FedEx Kinko's provides to many people? A hundred percent. 
Yeah. And the reason I, w- I went off on that uh, segue and told that story is what I want our listeners to think about are ask yourself, what are some needs your community has? And if you were to approach somebody like Eddie, what from within his portfolio of franchise opportunities could potentially meet that need? So how do people live? How do they go about their daily lives? What is something that they that is so ingrained to keeping their lifestyle going that they don't even think about it? They just look for somebody who does it. Yeah, I, I, look, I think there's many factors that I encourage my clients to consider. But as important as what you just mentioned is for them to really look in the mirror and reflect on, okay, what do I want? to do next in my life? What do I want my life to look like? What kind of business do I want to be involved with and grow? And one of the freedoms of investing in a franchise is let's say, you know, to your case, one day you get sick and tired of living in Las Vegas, right? Uh-huh. And, 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 and you want to move. Unlike a job, for example, where there is a job specifically in a place, people can open up their franchise anywhere. I do territory checks. So if you want to move to Miami where I live and there's a franchise that, that I think would be viable and you'd be excited by it. If the territory is available in Miami, then I introduce that particular opportunity to you or that client that said, I really want to move to Miami. I'm sick of the snow or whatever their goals are. So yes, it's important for you to know your market, to understand what you think, might be a viable business in that market. I often think what's more important is for people to really truly reflect. And I actually send them a document to prompt them to understand what that means on what do you want your life to look like? When you wake up in the morning, what do you want to go do and build? I, I, I Because I've built so many businesses in my lifetime, I find that 90% of the game is won. If you can't wait to wake up in the morning, to go build your business. If you don't really like what you're doing, your chances are pretty slim. Yeah, yeah, that's that that's also very important. You also brought up an important fact that while many franchises, not all, but many are brick and mortar, uh, that doesn't mean you're stuck there for the rest of your life. Like I could decide that, well, you know, I've been in Las Vegas for a while. I got some time left. I'm going to try Miami now. So if I had a franchise in Miami, I could contact you and say, hey, does anybody need a UPS store in Miami? Or whatever. Exactly. Or whatever. Yeah. Maybe I decide I was in I was in mailboxes in, in Las Vegas, but now I want to be in pizza in Miami, for instance. Uh, so I'd check and say, hey, uh, any uh, any pizza franchises out there, uh, any territories you need filled? Yeah, the, the, the service that I provide as a coach and as an advisor is truly to get people to think through what kind of options might be best for them, where they want to live and build their business, mm-hmm. what do they want their lifestyle to look like. I can't tell you how many people I've placed over the years that have channeled their background and experience into a new business having more to do with their life passion than necessarily what their resume says. Yeah. And, and so there's a lot of factors that I think are critically important to to exploring you know franchise ownership or any kind of business ownership and i often like to start my clients to go what do you want your next life to look like what do you want to do what do you not want to do where do you want to do it 
So, you know, those broader questions, I think, are essential before looking to, at any specific brands that I might, might introduce to a client. Right. So what else does somebody need to know before they consider buying into a franchise? Well, they need to reflect on, okay, do I want to work for somebody or do I want to be the boss? Do I want to just get a salary and be at risk that the company might merge or downsize and I get let go? Or do you want? Do I want to be in charge of my own destiny? If it's my business and I do a good job, then I'm the boss. No one can fire me. Do I want to build equity me. in my business? When you're getting a salary, yes, okay. It's it's you get your salary. You might get a little bonus at the end of the year and a little bump in salary the following year. Um, but you're not really building any wealth or equity. With with ownership, you are. And it's on you. If you, I often tell people, if you believe in yourself and you believe in the business that you are seriously considering um, and you work hard, your chances of succeeding are great. And then it's yours. You're the boss. You're in charge of your own destiny. You're building wealth and equity. I often work with people that tell me I want a legacy business for my kids. Great. Terrific. Franchise ownership does that beautifully. So it truly depends. Each client is different that I work with. Um, I get a lot of people that are, I call them, you know, corporate refugees are sick and tired of the rat race in corporate America. Or recently over the last few months, the tech sector has laid off thousands and thousands of people. So we're talking to many of them to try to see how we can channel what they did into what they want to do next. So that's one client that just, you know, is tired of, of corporate America. Then there's the old ageism point of view. If you're my age, if actually it starts at around 47 age discrimination. Yeah. And you are looking for executive employment commensurate with your pay grade and your experience. Good luck. Good luck with that. So people that aren't comfortable with starting their own concept Investing in a franchise becomes viable. It's a, it's a more natural uh, 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 jump off point from corporate America to business ownership because you're in business for yourself in your market, but not by yourself. There's a corporate franchise entity there to support you. So the comfort zone for someone that's in that profile becomes more viable with franchise ownership. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and you know, that's another thing that people think about is, you know, we see more about multiple streams of income, the gig economy and things like that. Not everybody has this dream of, well, I'm going to work a full time job, and then I'm going to go chase consulting gigs or something like that. Maybe they do want to establish wealth for generations. Maybe they want to establish their next landing spot and already have it in place before they get there. I remember when I was growing up, our our dentist used to, every time I visited his office, he would go on and on and on about how much he wanted to, how much he wanted to own and operate a Dairy Queen. He loved dentistry. In fact, he still practices all these years later. Uh, but he this had this thing about he wanted to own that. Now, as an adult, I understand what where he was going with it is he wanted to have 
something established so that uh let's say he decided that dentistry wasn't for him anymore maybe he decided he wanted to retire from his practice relatively early or maybe he decided he wanted to hire other dentists to actually do the drilling and cleaning while he lived a different type of lifestyle having that other landing pad of having a dairy queen franchise would be a great place for him to go a hundred percent i work with a very large percentage of clients that are interested in what we call semi-absentee opportunities, like your dentist. They want to yeah. keep their current job. They know they want to transition out of it eventually because they're fed up with it, but they want to keep their job, invest in what <laughs> often they say, I need a side hustle, right? They want yeah. something else that, that they own and build up. And eventually if they scale the business and it's going well, they can literally afford to quit their job and continue to build their new franchise business. So there are many hundreds of wonderful absentee and passive ownership opportunities in our portfolio for that profile candidate. I work with clients that go, no, no, I like to be the bottle washer and the cook. I like getting my fingernails dirty. I'm going to be a hands-on owner operator. And great. There's many opportunities that exist in the portfolio for that profile client. So it, it truly goes back to what I said before, Adam. It depends on each individual's goals, objectives, um, short and long-term, what kind of lifestyle they want to live. So, you know, I often like to joke that I call my clients, same thing Forrest Gump did in the movie when he's sitting on the park bench and opens up the box of chocolates and turns to the lady and says, you know, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. I don't yeah. presume anything when I start talking to a client. I don't profile them. They send me their resume and that's great. But the resume tells me what you've done in the past. It doesn't tell me where you are today. More importantly, where you want to be tomorrow in the next few years. <laughs> so my clients are like the box of chocolates. They're all different. They're all in different stages of life, have different goals, different passions. So when I do my job best is when I listen carefully to identify opportunities that are going to check off all their boxes. Yeah, yeah, cer certainly. So, you know, I find I find this interesting. When I was in college, uh, I worked I worked in a Wendy's uh, as uh, a summer job, basically, and also for one summer, I simultaneously uh, worked in McDonald's four days a week, uh, an early morning shift. Uh, this is because I lived in such a rural behind the sticks area that I couldn't get a grass cutting business going, which is what I would have preferred to do during the day. But that's a whole separate gripe. Now, what you telling me just reminded me of a difference between those two experiences. The Wendy's and the McDonald's were both franchises. The Wendy's was a franchise that was owned by a company that owned and operated basically all the Wendy's in that gen geographic region. They were all franchises, all operated by the same holding company. Uh, the McDonald's I worked at was a franchise where the franchise holder had just that one location. So the Wendy's had a, they, I mean, they both had general managers at the Wendy's, the, the, the store man, the store manager was a guy who essentially did it as a job. Now, there were some qualifications of that, and one of the things he loved to remind people is that he, that he was the one management personnel in the store 
who did not have to work a set schedule. The only thing is he had to pick which he, he had the freedom to pick which 80 hours he wanted to do it. Uh, the store, the, uh, the franchise holder for the McDonald's was also the general manager, but you almost never saw him. He apparently had some other business that took up most of his time. Like, uh, half the time of the rare times I even saw him in that franchise, he was, uh, dressed in whatever he wore for his other business, which was some sort of, uh, construction company. So right there, I don't know, I don't know why I'm bringing this up, but, but I think it just, it was triggered by what you said about levels of involvement is even within the franchise model, you get some flexibility on how much you want to be directly hands-on with it. A hundred percent. Your first example of the, 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 the one owner, I think you said that was the McDonald's one that yeah. had multiple locations. No, no, what? No, Wendy's was the one that uh, where that franchise was held by. It was held by a franchise holding company that owned all the franchises in that section of the Greater Pittsburgh area. Yeah, we. I work with clients all the time that are higher net worth individual that they, they want to own the market. So what they'll do is I look for opportunities where there are multiple territories available for that particular brand. So that that potential investor can then leverage his investment into multiple locations or territories and geofence the business so they can leverage their marketing, their staff, etc. You know, excellent idea. It just requires a higher level of capital investment. Um, but again, you're proving my point about the life is a box of chocolates. I mean, there's maybe the McDonald's one. I mean, McDonald's, people are hysterical when I tell them how much it costs. The investment required for one, just one McDonald's. Most people don't know. I don't know if you do. Do you, Adam? I'm going to let you educate me because anything I thought it was has probably changed. Yeah, it's about $1.6 million, the total investment required for just one McDonald's. Does that have to be put up front or is that something where oh, it's something oh, paid oh. off over time? No, I mean, over a 12-month period between the franchise fee, the build-out, the lease, the equipment, except staffing, you name it, you're looking at well over a million dollars. So what, what would have, what would have been, what, yeah, what would have been in 1995 when I worked at that McDonald's and it was a franchise where the guy who held the franchise held just the one location. How much money do you think he put in back in the, and, and, I, and I, I'd only spoken with him a couple of times, but I think he said he had been, he had been the franchise holder of that location for about seven years at that point. So let's say right around 1990, what would it have been? So we just so we can see a juxtaposition between that and today. I'd love to answer that question, but I've been in franchising for 17 years. Oh, I'm I thought it was longer. Sure. Okay. No, I've been a, I've been an entrepreneur for a long time. I've been oh. a franchise consultant for 17 years. Right. But I I would. Like anything else, whether it's the cost of a car or a home, a the franchise right to McDonald's in 1995 was probably considerably less yeah. than the cost of one today. Right. But, um, but that's, you know, to some people, they they know that McDonald's is a household word. And, and you know, there are many McDonald's that do very well. And people that have the wherewithal to invest that kind of money in a McDonald's, um, go for it. Um, so 
it's again, it goes back to my point of everyone has to determine what they want and what they don't want to do. And more importantly, what's going to really get them excited and motivated to get up in the morning to go build. That's it. Right. Okay. That's the secret sauce. All right. So now we know. So now we know that it's like one point six million dollars, so that you can uh, sell secret sauces at McDonald's. But as a general rule, and I know there's no one right answer to it. What kind of numbers should people, just generally speaking, be thinking about if they're thinking about is a franchise something is viable for me? Yeah. Generally, there's two costs associated with investing in a franchise. The first one is the franchise fee. The franchise fee is what grants you the exclusive right to to, um, operate that business in your territory. You have an exclusive territory. No one can compete with you. You also get all the franchise companies, intellectual property, technology support, marketing support, operating support. Essentially, you become a partner with the franchisor. Franchise fees, which are a one-time fee over the life of the franchise agreement, generally run between forty to sixty thousand dollars. That's and it. As with any business. Well, no, not that's <laughs> it. Okay. <laughs> um well, I mean, if you were to start a business that's already been, I mean, a, a business that hasn't been established, starting a business for forty or sixty thousand dollars is not a lot of money. This one happens to come with a lot, not just the starting of it but all the uh, support that comes with it. But when you launch your business, now you've secured your territory, right? Then you have to train with the company and they, you do an onboarding and all that stuff. Then you go, okay, when am I going to launch it, right? Once you launch it, like any business, you have operating costs. Well, I tell clients that ask a question similar to the one you just posed to me, is generally a total investment on the low side, on the low side, for investing in a franchise is around $100,000 total. Liquid or borrowed. There's a lot of great financing options with franchises because they're all registered with the Federal Trade Commission and lenders love businesses that are already established. But on the low side, a total of investment of about $100,000 is a good bet. We have opportunities in our portfolio that require investments in excess of $3 million. So... I don't know if that helped answer your question. Well, actually, actually, it did give me a lot of data to help me understand the question. Uh, how much money do you think somebody needs to have in the bank? Because that's another thing that comes up a lot, particularly since what you just described is often going to be financed by debt. Yeah, I, I, I often I, I see a lot of financial requirement pages that clients must fill out. I, I tell clients that generally... You have to have a minimum net worth of about between two hundred dollars and $300,000 and liquid right. capital, capital that you can tap into, whether it's cash, stocks and bonds, some retirement account of, of somewhere between fifty dollars to $100,000. Okay. All right. And, and that's that's pretty reasonable because I, I, th- I think they want to see that uh, you're not like 300,000 in the negative and they want to know that if something comes up in a hurry that you can put the cash up. Well, franchise companies carefully, you know, I often tell clients and sometimes they forget that when they start talking to a franchise that they're excited about, that the franchise company sizing you up as much as you're sizing them up. 
Remember, they're going to be your partners. Year one, they invest a lot in you. So they want to make sure that you don't make a mistake by investing your hard-earned money in something that maybe you truly can't afford. And as you were probably thinking, you have enough capital to tap into to sustain yourself as you're building your business. So that's why franchise companies all have minimum net worth requirements and many of them have liquid capital requirements just to make sure that that potential investor has the wherewithal not only to invest, but to sustain him or herself in that investment. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's, um, and I think that's, that's fantastic. So I know folks sometimes want to know their end game, and this is something that we didn't really cover in advance. So I do want to ask the question because people want to sometimes want to see the entire picture. Let's say you get into a franchise and then you want out, then what? No problem. It's like, remember, when you own that franchise in your market, it's your business. You own it. So let's say you want out, you want to move, or you want to retire. We have a portfolio just of resale opportunities. The exit strategy with a franchise oftentimes is easier than a standalone business. Why? The protocol is, let's say you decided you wanted to retire. You just want out, right? You want to go play golf instead. You call the franchise company and say, hey, Adam, you know, I'm done. I want to retire. I want to do something else. Great. The franchise company is very interested in replacing you with another good franchisee. So they go to work. And one of the things that they do is reach out to groups like ours to go, listen, there's a resale of a franchise opportunity in Las Vegas. Here are the details. And then everyone goes to work to find a new franchisee. So you have an army of people helping you with your exit strategy. It's 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 in it, oftentimes it's an easier exit strategy than, you know, I've had startups in my past and I, when I wanted to sell them, you either go to a business broker or you reach out to the investment community, but you, you don't have the wherewithal of the franchise company who has the same interest as you. Right. They're going, OK, well, Adam's been a really good franchisee. We need to find another good one to to, you know, help him sell his territory. So, yeah, the exit strategy with owning a franchise, it's your business. You can do whatever you want. You can you know, you can sell it and 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 or not sell it. It's it's up to you. Right, 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 right. OK, so I, I think that's pretty important because what occurred to me as we were speaking is. What if I, we'll just use the analogy you've already used, uh, a UPS store, and I decide, well, I don't want to be in the UPS store business anymore. Now, what can be complicated about that is you may have 500 mailboxes there and 480 people leasing those mailboxes. You're not going to put 480 people out of their mailing addresses. No, I mean, the, the, the critical part with franchise ownership resales is you must inform the franchise company of your intent. You okay. want to sell? The franchise company that helps you with your exit strategy, but in a way that doesn't hurt the franchise company. Right. And in, in a way to attract a buyer. Buyers want to make sure that they're investing in an existing open franchise that's healthy enough. You know, they, they don't want somebody that says, quit working. You've lost all your 
those clients. They don't have those mailboxes anymore. The store is doing horribly or whatever franchise business. You know, it's like, it's the same as with an existing startup business. If you want to sell your business that you started a couple of years ago, but you've neglected it and it's not doing very well, you're not going to get a really good price for the sale of that startup. No right. different than the franchise. Franchises are businesses. That's all they are. They're they're different in the way that I've described today. But if you have a, a fairly healthy franchise business, most likely you're going to have a really good chance of selling it because the franchise company and consultants like myself are going to help you sell it. If you have an unhealthy franchise business because you've neglected it and there are no sales, very few clients, oh, well, you brought it on yourself. So now you're going to have to find a buyer that is just willing to take it on because he wants that particular territory that you own. That's your asset. You own the right to do that business, that UPS store in that market. And that's the territory that they want. So then you negotiate a price for the territory and the resale and you're done. Right. So I'm going to do some quick math here. Um, as of right now, because I just I just paid the latest installment of my bill. My UPS mailbox is $276 every six months. Let's multiply that by two. And that's $552. Now, my UPS store has three different sizes of mailboxes. They're real little ones. They're like mid-sized ones that are, you know, ideal for the person who stops by once every 10 days. And then there are big ones for people who get lots of big packages. So uh I'm in the I, I have the middle one. So there's some that cost less and some that cost more. So we're gonna use that 276 is just an average. So I multiplied that by two. So every year they get $552 from me just for sticking my mail in a slot and every so often being uh, every so often uh, helping me sign a form for when I have a box delivered there. That's like nothing. I mean, <laughs> so multiply that. I don't know how many mailboxes I have, but let's just say, I'm going to say they have 150 maybe. I'm going to make up a number. So that's still like $83,000 in turnkey right there. Now, that doesn't even count their piece of the action when somebody goes there to have their UPS packages shipped out. It doesn't uh, cover the, it doesn't even count the business they do off helping people with print jobs, creating banners and signs. It doesn't uh, count that uh, amount of money they take uh, in for the by minute charges for people who come in and use their computers. And every time I go in there, all three of their computers are being used. So I would look at that and say, well, there's still a bit to win or lose here, but I got money coming in the door on day one. Yeah, but there, uh, UPS store and other businesses have, well, not, uh, not all others, but many of them have multiple revenue streams within their business model. Yeah. You just described the UPS business. But whether it's McDonald's or UPS, we have two UPS stores equidistant from where we live, right? Yeah. Same brand, same services that you just described. Great locations, both of them. One is always full and the other one wasn't. And early on, we were like wondering why. Much like a McDonald's or any other business, we realized that the one store, great attitude, great service, very nice people in it. And, and you felt like, wow, this is somebody I want to do business with. The other one, offering the same services, 
Sometimes people wouldn't even acknowledge that you were there. Sour attitude, like just, well, you know what? You reap what you sow. Same model, same with McDonald's. McDonald's is same menu, same vibe when you walk into a McDonald's. Uh -huh. Some of them do great and some of them do not. So your math is accurate, right? And I don't know if that shop that you're talking about is doing great or not. Well, they well, I'm anytime I need to send a package or even sign for one where it was too big to fit in the mailbox, and they need me to sign off on the little keypad to indicate I picked it up. I'm waiting in line every single time. God bless them. That's a good operator. Yeah, that UPS store has a franchise owner that's a good operator, and they're probably following UPS franchise protocols on every part of their business. Yeah. So. FedEx Kinkos. I use FedEx Kinkos all the time. It's more convenient for me. And, and the, I'm lucky that the one near me is wonderful, wonderful environment, great service. Two of the people there now know me. Um, so it's an enjoyable experience. All of us have, the, have had the difference, especially in a retail brick and mortar, whether it's service or product of either a really great experience or a really crappy one, <laughs> whether it's at a, a food joint or a UPS store. Oftentimes, people think that just because it's called McDonald's that they're going to be great. Not true. Just because it's called UPS, it's going to be great. Not true. Some franchise investors often think that just because other franchises are succeeding within that brand, and that model that all they have to do is invest in it, turn the lights on and boom, they're going to be making a lot of money wrong. <laughs> so franchises are like any business. If you treat the customer well and you provide the service or product and attention that you're supposed to, you're going to be okay. If, if you don't, then you're not going to succeed. It's really simple. Well, no. yeah, yeah, I think there's a lot to that. So, um, you know, I, you know, as I said, I worked in a Wendy's for five years and uh, the entire time there I worked, the, it was the same, it was the same general manager who was there. And as an adult, I understand, like, I mean, I was an adult then legally, but as being like an adult who's been around now, I can look back at his management style and some of the things and how he handled situations. And I recognized that he had a few basic philosophies, one of which was, is that it wasn't going to be perfect and he wasn't even going to try. He was going to do a good job with it. Um, as he even said, yeah, you know, if you look, if you look behind the corners, you're going to find some fuzz, but overall we're a good store. And beyond that, he made a reasonable level best effort to make sure that he did everything he could to help people enjoy working there. And I think it's because he recognized that if people were overall having a good time working there, it would impact the quality of service, not only just you know how good the food was prepared, but also the interpersonal experience that guests would have coming in the store. And uh, he was motivated by, by this because he got a base salary, but a significant part of his income came from the profits of the store. So there was a combination of all these factors put together. And he recognized quite simply, the more regulars I have, the more money I get in bonuses. Listen, it, it, it's really not rocket science. Yeah. You know, <laughs> at the end of the day, 
Um, I'm sure there was maybe another Wendy's near or, or uh, you know, somewhat near to where you are, where that kind of service and that kind of environment and support within the store was not the same. And I guarantee you, your store was doing a lot more business than the other store. Well, um, well, let me let me let me let me let me tell you something about about that. Uh, most of the time, it was a great place to work, except when there was this one assistant manager there who, for some reason, this guy protected. I have no reason why. Her ass should have been fired many times over, and it was miserable whenever she was running the store alone. And I mean, people asked not to be there. He had to beg people to come in for her shifts and everything else. She was just just an overall a, a, a mean, nasty person who actually I think was prone to violence. And I, I don't care who hears that who hears that because she was just nasty. Uh but but he himself was, you know, had a lot of fun with it. And uh and uh people used to try to get on his shifts because he made it a good time i mean he expected excellence he expected you to do your job do it well um comply with policies because he was he was aware that the franchise owners would send in secret shoppers and if something was off he would hear about it within about five minutes and if he got one of those phone calls he also made clear that'd be hell to pay if that happened so he used a combination of all reinforcement strategies to make it fun and also make people make sure people did their jobs well and uh and uh so overall it was a profitable store now he ended up ultimately going into the hotel hospitality industry several years after i stopped working there he's now physically dead uh i occasionally just for giggles go back and look at the reviews because that that wendy's location is still operational and i read some of the reviews that place gets and i think is this the same store yeah i mean who, who who or what is running this and how does it manage to still be in business when I see some of the horror stories they get in their 1.8 star reviews? That's and I'm, I'm thinking if this guy was still running it, that would not happen. It's it's proof in the pudding, man. At the end of the day, I went yesterday with my wife to a local mall and we walked into a couple of stores. Completely different experiences. Both brands that I'll remain nameless here, but big brands. One, the lady was amazing. We walked in. She just said, good afternoon. My name is, I forgot her name right now, whatever it was, Lily or whatever. Um, if there's anything, anything at all that I can help you with, please let me know and let us go. The other person was on their phone, their cell phone, didn't even acknowledge that we walked in. We walked right by her and it's as if we did not exist at all. So, you know, whether it's a service, you know, how many of us call uh, uh, customer service numbers on the phone? Right, 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 right. We get people that are very nice and, and nice. you know, yes. want the best for us. And other people that we just want to go through the phone and, and grab them by the neck and kill them. Oh, well, I've been there. Yeah. So... Businesses, you know, because of my experience as a business owner, it's it's really you work hard at what you do. You provide people with the kind of service or product that has real value. You treat them and your employees well. You have a really good shot at succeeding, whether it's a franchise or a startup. 
If you don't, customers walk away. The amount of choices mm-hmm. that exist now, we can buy anything online, anything. <laughs> so, so if you're not providing people with the kind of service or product, I mean, we in Miami, well, I was just joking with a friend recently that there are 8 million stores where you can go get salads. Yeah. Whole health, healthy food craze. Okay, well, which one do I want to go to? Well, we've decided to go to one that has the most delicious salad menu, the most fresh tasting food. And every time we go there, we're treated like a king and queen. I'll yeah. never go to any, any of the other places. So, oh, there's some there's something to that. I mean, I have a few places as far as restaurants I frequent here in Las Vegas. And in a way, I have them all trained because I'm that guy who comes in and you are. And uh, and if a few people know me there, they already know that I'm going to order one of two things that I regularly order. And uh, and uh, they they can send they they can even send somebody who hasn't even served me before. And they can they can ask, OK, which one of your regulars do you want today? There you so, go. Yeah. So yeah. So I so I do my part to actually make it easy for them. And the part of the reason is I don't like to wait. I, I if I if I go into a restaurant and sit down, it means I want food uh like sooner than later. Uh so I so I help myself by being consistent and keeping things simple. That's why I have a few different places to accommodate my ranging tastes. Now right. I've ruled out some places I tried. Because it felt like every single time I went there, I was starting over, even though it was the same people working there. They didn't even see me as a person. They didn't even make the baseline effort to recognize, oh, he's that guy that as long as he gets his food fast, he's going to leave you a good tip. Listen, it, it truly is not rocket science. Yeah. It, you know, it's, it's pretty simple stuff that a lot of owners or even managers in a shop, I love when I go into a shop and it's just a manager, but they behave like a proud owner. Yeah. And, and, and they, they literally uh, take major ownership in the service and how they treat clients. And you see the way they deal with other staff members. And that's the kind of businesses that I want to go to. And, and, you know, during the pandemic, a quick funny story, you know, all of us were like probably drinking a little too much. <laughs> yeah. And my wife and I decided at the time that we were really going to support local mom and pop businesses during the pandemic yeah. rather than big chains, because those people had families and needed our support. And um, to this day, I overpay at our favorite little local liquor shop. Instead of going to Total Wine or one of the big, you know, big box, you know, liquor stores, because they treat us like a king and queen. Um, It's wonderful. You feel like you're giving back to your community. And as long as we get that kind of treatment and that kind of service, I continue to support those businesses. And I think in general, when businesses realize that if you do things well, by your customers and your your team um you have a great chance of succeeding but you know uh, (laughs) you can lead a horse to water but you can't make it drink right exactly exactly so we're pretty much at the top of the hour here so i want to extend an invitation to our audience uh this is a different conversation about franchising than i've ever had before Uh, a lot of the 
I mean, we've had some great interviews on franchising here on this show. I've listened to some podcasts about this. I've, I know I have some friends who are franchise owners, but this is a little bit of a different approach in it. We focus a lot on the personalities, the mindsets, and overall, just some of the nuts and bolts things that it takes to succeed as a franchisor or any business, regardless of whether you're doing an independent startup, regardless whether you have a job, regardless of whether you're a franchise owner and or operator, some things are pretty consistent. So there's a lot for people to learn by going back and listening to this again. The invitation is to visit Eddie's website. Go to www thefranchisetaylor.com. That's www.thefranchisetaylor.com. And it's a very, very, very good resource. He has a lot of information about how to prepare to franchise, some of the things to think about. There's a great FAQ section. Uh, he's got a lot of great articles in out. out. Uh, you can discover more about potentially getting involved in a franchise. And Eddie is one of those accessible people. You'll go to the website and you'll see that it's relatively easy to get in touch with him. And if you choose to do so, uh, please mention that you heard Eddie Rodriguez on the Business Creators radio show. I'd love, I'd love to hear some shout outs from our audience. So one more time, www.thefranchisetaylor.com. And with that, Eddie Rodriguez, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me in education. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.